Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, around the corner technology. And I'm here today with Casey Flaherty, uh, principal founder, head of Presertus, a uh, company that's dealing in the legal space. Uh, Casey, can you give me a, a rundown of what Presertus does? Because it seems like you guys are into uh, you know several different aspects: consulting, uh, technology provider, etc. Can you let me know what, what Presertus does and how it works? So I I I do consulting and I do it under the Persertis name. And then we also have uh, our own technology platform. Uh, on the, I'll start with the platform. Uh, sure. It's related to uh, basic technology training, so core desktop software like Word, Excel, and PDF in the legal context. Uh, traditionally, uh, lawyers have not received any training whatsoever. Um, on those, uh, they don't they don't get it in law school. They don't get it at their law firms, and frankly, they're really bad at it. Uh, and to the extent we provide training, it's here's some videos you should maybe watch them, or we might even send you into a classroom uh, where you can sit there and look at your uh, your BlackBerry while someone stands up there and demonstrates something that you're not paying attention to. Uh, I'm a I'm a big uh, proponent of competence-based learning, uh, okay. uh, which which is let, while time is important for learning, it's a poor proxy for learning, uh, and we we should be able to measure learning directly. And traditionally, it's hard to do that because it's because of the logistics. But computers have made that much easier. So instead of giving, telling someone to here, watch someone live demonstrate this or watch these videos, it's here are right. specific tasks. Please do them. Uh, if you do okay. them correctly, if you, you do, then you've learned, right? If you if you are able to demonstrate competency, you've learned. So it doesn't matter how long or okay, that makes sense. Makes sense. Well, it does. It does actually matter how long because there's a lot of different ways to do things, and some take much much longer than others. Just to give you a really okay. simple example, uh, lawyers deal with a lot of contracts, even litigators, a settlement agreement is a contract. Lawyers love cross-references, you know, with the exception of Section 3.2, you know, uh, <laughs> as stated in, in consistent with Section X, Y, and Z. Uh, you change one little thing in the, in the contract, all those cross-references need to be updated. If you know, if, if you know what you're doing, it takes about five seconds, if that. If you don't know what you're doing, it can take hours, depending on the length of your contract. Uh, Makes sense. Only about 5% of associates and staff know how to use automated cross-references in Microsoft Word. And I know that because I've now tested thousands of them. And so we, we're tracking accuracy and time. Um, but it's not just that Part of it is you let people test out of training they don't need, which is really important because time is valuable. 
Um, the other thing right. is you you identify what people know and what they don't. And that's one of our biggest problems when it comes to training is people have no idea how valuable it would be because they don't know what they don't know. They labor under delusions of adequacy. They huh. think they know what they're doing. They're not doing it wrong on purpose. They simply have no conception of how the software works, and they think that it demands them to do it the brute force way. Uh, they're wrong, but they don't know they're wrong unless you show them they're wrong. And so that's where gotcha. competence-based learning comes in. And then, and then because it's computer-mediated, you can start delivering it in interesting ways where someone does a task, uh, it gets graded, they can be, they'll be, they can get instant feedback on whether or not they did it correctly. If they did it correctly, move on to the next one. If they did it incorrectly, then that's when they get the training video. But then they're immediately afforded the opportunity to apply that training in a live environment, meaning they try it again. And they can go through that cycle okay. as many times as they need until they close the learning loop. And then you can use an assessment on the back, on the back end to, to verify retention. So again, you're, you're confirming that people actually know how to use things rather than assuming it, which is mostly what we do now, or thinking right. that simply by sending them to something that you call training, they're going to get training. So, you know, how did you get involved with this? And why is this, uh, it sounds like it's extremely important to you. What, you know, what's your background? What, how did this start? Uh, so I was, I, went to law school, went to a large firm, was a complex commercial litigator, also did quite a bit of e-discovery. I moved in-house, and when I moved in-house, there were a lot of things I didn't want to pay for. Um, but though, that had almost nothing to do with the really valuable lawyering that my law firms provided. It mostly had to do with the, the labor-intensive work that made that lawyering possible, so the low-value-add but necessary work. Uh, it was my it was my view that law firms and also in-house departments were not properly leveraging their expertise through process and technology. And so the question becomes, how do you talk to your firms about leveraging, uh, about service delivery, about leveraging that expertise through through process and technology? The traditional answer, tended to be you ask for a discount. We know you're inefficient, so we're not going to pay you your full rate. Uh, to me, discounts are a very silly game. The kind of the second most popular answer is you don't talk to them about it at all. You move you move to uh, uh, flat fees, alternative fees. Uh, that's something I'm much more enthusiastic about, but I don't think it solves the entire problem. Uh, and so I came up with an entire methodology we're having those kinds of discussions, and in fact, it's now contained in a in a in a book or in a guidebook put out by the Association of Corporate Counsel entitled "Unless You Ask: How to Get More from Your External Relationships," and it outlines how to have these concrete discussions in areas like knowledge management, document automation, expert systems, the use of data and analytics, uh, and a bunch of other categories. One of which is technology training. And for most of those categories I mentioned, you can come up with reasonable proxies that, that serve as metrics. And they're not, you know, metrics are not the end of the discussion. They're the beginning of the discussion. They inform the discussion. So knowledge management, let's say we, we want our firms to be using some kind of uh, 
repository of, of case law. You can get statistics. Okay. How frequently is it updated? Um, how frequently is it accessed? Uh, does, the, does the firm give credit for knowledge management activities? How much credit is it giving? Can they point to documents uh, that they produce for you that have had their origin or portions of them have originated in their knowledge management or document automation system? And so you can start to, you can start to measure these things to inform your conversation. The place where I had a very hard time finding good proxies was technology training. Uh, because again, the only real proxy there is, did you mandate training? And from my personal experience, I don't think that that has much informational value. So I needed to create my own metric. And so that's where I came up with this, this assessment. Um, so I, I had my outside counsel do it and, and I got their scores. Uh, and that's, that, that was its origin. Uh, so I am very passionate about it, but I see it as, as one piece in a much larger puzzle, or as my friend Mark Cohen would say, it's a legal mosaic. Um, there's lots of little things that go into superior service delivery. Technology training is one of them, it's, but it's certainly not um, the only one. So that's, that's, that's okay. where it originated. I, I needed a metric and I didn't have one. So within this, this training that you've, you've created, what, uh, what does the test test for? You know, what are some of the elements it tests for? It gives people pretty basic tasks that you'd encounter in a legal environment and just ask them to do it. So here's, here's a document that's been marked up. So there's, you need to turn off track changes, accept all changes, delete all comments. Okay, someone added, added a new section. Uh, you need to, and they messed up the numbering. You need to fix the numbering. Okay, with, now that you fix the numbering, the cross references are off. You need to fix the cross references. There's a problem with the there's a problem with the footer. There's and just going through kind of a standard document generation procedure. Uh, there's also one that's PD, uh, in for PDFs. It's about preparing an e-filing. There's another one that's Excel, uh, which is analyzing some data you got from a client. Excel is an interesting one because I love it. Uh, as in-house counsel, I spent more time in Excel than I did in Word because the business ran on Excel and that's, that's, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd go into the database, export the raw data, put it in a pivot table, start do, start, and start analyzing it. And we were absolutely sending that kind of data to our outside counsel. And so it mattered whether or not they could deal with it, but it didn't mean right. that every one of my outside counsel had to be an expert in Excel. Rather, they needed to have identified Excel experts on their team and a workflow designed to send spreadsheet-intensive work their way. And so I would ask them the questions, who's your Excel expert? How do you know they're an expert? And what does your workflow look like? Um, hmm. And normally they would just shrug to all of those questions. Um, and then it would come out that they defined an, an Excel expert as the youngest available person, which made me laugh. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of, one over of, the, biggest, he's, one he's of the things I talk about all the time is, got, is the pernicious myth of the digital native. Right. Drives, drives me up the wall. Oh, the myth that, you know, because someone, let's say, is 20-something, they grew up digital, they know about all that quote-unquote stuff, right? Yeah, it's awful. Okay. Um, what have you seen is the effect of proper training 
you know, people going through your system, what kind of results, any ROI, um, better efficiency, what kind of things are improved? So people, there, there's a few things that occur. First of all, they, they get measurably better at using Word, Excel, and PDF. Uh, they also then report uh, that they uh, uh, have translated those skills into day-to-day -day use, uh, that they found it worthwhile, and then you see their realization rates go up. Uh, so when it's associates and paralegals, less of their time gets cut. So that's that's what you people people are happier. They're getting their work done quicker. They're making more money on the work they're getting done. Right. Do you see that it leads to better retention of you know let's say paralegals and associates? Uh, any other improvements? It's in the way firm? too soon to tell. We've only been been at this a year. Also, we don't have access to the firm's data on such things. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, sus I suspect that even if we did, it would be, it'd be, that data would be really noisy. So okay. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have, okay. I don't have the data for that. Hey, is it, is it difficult to sell this training to firms? It sounds not very sexy, you know, oh, Word, Excel, PowerPoint. Oh, it's, I would think it's, ext it's extremely difficult. Yeah, I would think that people would assume probably wrongly that, oh, uh, you know, as long as you basically know these programs, you're fine. You don't need to, uh, you know, you don't need to get training in them, et cetera. Is that what you run into? Yeah. A, so they, they assume people, they assume people are good. They assume their, their current training is sufficient. They're not willing to test either of those assumptions. Even when I offer it to, I offer, all right, let's do, let's do a pilot. Let's see how your people are doing. When they take me up on that, their people are horrible. And then, and then they say, oh, we don't want to do it because it will, it, will, it will shake people's confidence and make them anxious. So they'd rather people, they'd rather proceed under the assumptions that were just shattered um, because it might, it might upset some folks uh, right. to go to, to actually learn they're not as good as they thought they were. So they, they'd rather ha they have false confidence um, rather than actually go through the training and have real confidence. And it's, and it's not just about learning these specific skills. It's about developing a theirs and that for that mentality, getting more, more familiar, more fluent, and more fluid with the technology. And so when you encounter something and you um, maybe you learned it and now you've forgotten it, but you have a general sense of that it can be done and a general idea how, how it can be done and a general vocabulary of how to look it up. Or maybe you didn't learn it at all, but now, now you think, you know what, there's got to be a way to do this that isn't insanely labor intensive. Let me look it up or let me ask somebody. And so it changes the way that we relate to our technology the more we invest in it. But it is an extremely hard sell. Not impossible. There are absolutely firms that are doing it. Um, but yeah. I've been very, I wouldn't say disappointed because I didn't think it was going to be an easy sell to begin with. Uh, yeah. where, I, where I have been the most disappointed is actually in clients because I had so many clients when I was in-house say to me, oh, what you're doing is great. If we could do it, we would. 
and then I and I would just send them a copy of my audit, which at the time was manual. You just ask someone to do a certain kind of work and you time them. Like, oh, well, that's that's really resource intensive. If there was some way it was automated, we could just get the scores and we'd do that. Okay, so I automated it. Oh, we can't. You, we um, can't ask our outside counsel for this. They'd be offended. Hmm. And it's just that's been the most disappointing. Have you thought about uh, certifying paralegals that have gone through your training system, you know, and and so they can go out and get better work or higher end work? Yeah, we, so we, we have a, we have a, we have many certifications called Cobot Certified Operator Basic Office Technology, and you, it's awarded on a module by module basis. So you can do Word without doing Excel. You can do Excel without doing PDF. As we expand our content, uh, it's going to uh, we're going to have levels. So yes. Yeah, what have you have you been able to people that have gone through Cobot certification? Have you gotten reports back on them being able to get jobs easier or better paying jobs or you know their experiences with it? Yeah, there hasn't. A, mo, almost every all the purchases have been at the at a firm level, or a, or hmm. a organization level. So a corporate a corporate law department has bought it or a firm has bought it. So we don't right. we don't we don't have contacts with individuals. Okay. Have you approached uh, the paralegal industry itself to see if they would get yeah, it we, before they even get it to firms? Yeah. So we've we've just we've just signed a deal with um, the Association of Legal Professionals (OLP) uh, mm -hmm. to offer a discount to their members. We also um, have entered into deals with bar, bar associations uh, to create state-specific versions that are CLE accredited. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, right? Have you been able to turn this this training into CLE credits in time? Yeah. And that's, that's our big do you push think, right now. Yeah, do you think that'll be a big inroad that'll kind of grease the, the skids to get a lot more firms to adopt this and get these certifications? I hope so, but but who knows? I mean, firms will, the people, they will all, there's always one more excuse, right? Right. And so CLE is a current excuse, but I have no idea. There's there's always going to be one more thing. I I just think it's law. It takes a while. Uh, it takes years. Mm -hmm. I one of the things one of the things I I do is I review. I run convergence initiatives for law departments, where they shrink where they shrink the number of law departments law firms they're doing business with, in order to ease okay. their administrative bur burden and create more leverage and create deeper supplier relationships. And so I read a lot of RFP responses. And there'll be a section, of course, on technology. And there'll be different questions, but one of them will be about emerging technology. So you're doing anything with the new stuff. Right. And I can't tell you how many times you're, to you're told, oh, yes. And then and then and then and then and then you'll get a paragraph on their extranet. Hmm. Okay. And extranets have been in legal since 1996, and yet there are firms who genuinely believe that that is an emerging technology. Um, and so that that's just that's how long it takes. So, yeah, because you have this perspective, um, 
what have you seen that is truly an emerging technology for the law space, or are you not able to comment on anything like that? Oh, of course. So I'm I'm actually I'm on the advisory board of Next Law Labs. Uh, I, I wrote the I wrote the legal technology column for the ACC docket for two years. I currently switched to another one on strategic sourcing legal services. So I look I, I look at a I look at a lot of things, uh, and it's you know Nexal Labs is an investor in Ross, for example. Uh, mm. I I'm a I'm a big fan of kind of algorithmic um, invoice review and categorization uh, to get into better mining of our existing data. So companies right. like Legal Decoder, uh, I'm really excited about uh, getting better, stronger uh, qualitative measurements and benchmarks like with QualMet. So there, there are absolutely things out there that are are interesting to me. And, you know, and they're not all big. I mean, Word Rake, I think, is a fantastic program. It's not it's not world changing, uh, you know, next generation of AI. Um, to, but it's it's absolutely valuable at, at doing something that we're not that good at doing. So there there are lots of things that I've seen that 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 I find interesting. I okay. I'm 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 more of a, an incrementalist. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think that we're in a phase shift from a technological perspective, where all of a sudden lawyers disappear. To, to the extent right. we're in a phase shift, it's more business model based. In-house departments grow, and I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, I think the uh, from the business model perspective, you also look at the alternative service providers and the big four, um, so that we have them. A much different mix of delivery models, uh, but on the on the technology side, it tends to be far far more incremental. It tends to be you know Ross is Ross is great, but it's it's a better way to do legal research. That's not right. that's not that's fantastic, and should absolutely be explored and purchased, etc. But it's not it's not it doesn't fundamentally change the way we deliver legal services. Legal decoder running 24 million algorithms against every line item of every invoice helps you categorize things, helps you price things, help, helps you identify anomalous billing activity. Absolutely fantastic, but not that right. fundamentally different from things we've been trying to do. It just helps us do them better. Qualmet is essentially a survey now with some really interesting statistical stuff on the on the back end. Uh, great reporting, very slick. Mm. But someone could have produced a survey 20 years ago of, about how you feel about your extra, your outside counsel, and of course, large organizations have done it from BTI to Altman Wild. This is much more local. I would say ultimately it's going to be more useful, and I I think it could absolutely change the way in-house and outside counsel uh, talk to each other, but it's still not fundamentally changing the relationship in some way that, you know, is was here to, 
for unthought, you know, unthinkable. Uh, I, to the extent we're getting anywhere near that, you know, I love, I love the Dan Katz thin legal tech stuff. Can we secure, can we, can we find new ways to characterize legal risk? Can we securitize it? Can we use uh, an ensemble approach um, to, to rationalize what is a very irrational, informal kind of self-insurance operation that we've got going on? Uh, okay. To me, that's, that's fascinating. There's certainly te- technology components, but it's, it's, almost, it's more social than, than it is technological. Any technologies coming up that uh, you you do think will be more than just incremental change that will truly be game changers in the legal space? Game changers? I I don't. If there's none, that's okay. I just you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see it. I mean, you know, you can see it in particular areas. You know. Legal Zoom was a game changer when it com- came to the production of wills. I mean that that had a real impact on a lot of lawyers. Um, uh, things like what uh, Mark Taminga at 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 Osler did with with some of with some automation in you know particular areas tended to be a game changer. And so there 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 are technologies that help drive commoditization or at least mass customization um, mm. but they they tend to be very specific I can't think of any general purpose technology um, that that is a is a game changer and I get very excited about kind of all of these things you know virtual reality for uh, accident reconstruction for example that's awesome. That's just cool. Um, or to the extent you're doing anything in the patent space or anything where that kind of three-dimensional visualization is going to have an enormous impact on the way people understand what's going on. Right. I think that's great. I don't know if it's a game changer. It's just a different way to present information to a jury. It's a better way. Mm-hmm. It's a way that once it once it's once it matures, you better be using it or you're going to lose. Um, right. So it's to say it's not a game changer is not to dismiss it in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, what at what point do we say the game has changed? So you know, '96, Suskind is being told is being called dangerous and possibly insane for suggesting that lawyers will will start to communicate with their clients by email. Today, uh, we're, we can't even be called BlackBerry addicts anymore because we're all on iPhones, but we email with our clients all the time. And text. that absolutely changed the way that we operate. And yet, did it really fundamentally change our relationship with our clients or the kind of work we did? And right. That's that's where we get into philosophical questions. I can't answer. Is yeah, I'm sure, is I'm sure there's you, many lawyers that that text for their clients too, not just email. Yeah, but 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 is that is that game changing? Right, you're right. Yeah, not really. I mean, and, but no, but 
I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what, do I see something like Amazon, what Amazon did to bookstores or what Netflix did to Blockbuster or what Uber is doing to the taxi industry? That kind of third party disruption, completely different way of delivering services, completely different way of thinking about what it is you're selling. That that I don't see, but that might might also be because I'm not that imaginative. I don't, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't have any problem with the idea that I'm not the smartest, most creative person in legal, and and maybe I am, I'm, I'm absolutely missing it, even though again I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of AI, of VR of AR, of expert systems of machine learning, natural language processing. I mean, go down, go, go down your, your buzzword bingo yeah. list. I'm, well, let's, let's, I'm big on all. Let me ask you a couple I of things. Just, let me ask you a couple of things about that because this is, you know, this is geared towards more future tech. Um, because, especially because of the writing you've done and, and all the things you've seen in the legal industry, I want to, you know, run a couple ideas by you and see what your thought is because you you probably would have a more educated stance on it. Um, you know, I've spoken to companies that, um, for instance, one would look at, um, you know, let's say a thousand DUI cases in a given state, look at the fact patterns, you know, everything about the case, the judge, the prosecutor, and all that. Uh, use natural language processing to boil that all down and to make a recommendation engine for, uh, you know, a, a drunk driver, a DUI attorney. For when they get a new client, you know, well, based on this huge corpus of past cases and with the facts and everything, you know, if you file a motion to do this, it's got a high likelihood of succeeding or not. Or do you see a place for those kinds of uh, AI systems, or are they more flights of fancy? Oh no, that's, those, that's one those question. Are fantastic! I, I, uh, I love what they're doing at Lex Machina. They're they're great. Uh, I had a IP matters. I would absolutely use them. Um, I, I, I think there are ways to organize and analyze the data that will help you make an informed decision. Now, it's still a person making a decision. I tend to be, uh, you know, a follower of, follower of Dan Katz in terms of ensembles that you're going to, that you want to use to the extent you can, uh, experts, crowds, and algorithms, and you're talking about the algorithm piece. Um, absolutely make can make much better decisions one of the things i do in my consulting is work on decision tree analysis uh large companies large cases uh, uh trying to apply some rigor into how they set reserves how they decide on settlement authority how they budget for the case uh, what the expected value value is a decision tree is just another way to represent an algorithm um, if we were doing it right, which by the way we're not, we would have mm-hmm. we would have data informing every single one of those inflection points, and we'd have a data strategy not only to use our past cases, but also to track our forecasting accuracy in past cases, and not just how well is the algorithm doing, but how well are the individual forecasters who are involved doing. Um, mm. I am I'm a I'm a huge proponent of that. 
uh, you know, one of these days I'm going to convince one of these large companies to hire me for an extent for, as opposed to one-off cases for a large program of that, um, of, of developing a data strategy uh, and using predictive analytics to inform the decisions we make on cases, uh, whether, again, helping us decide whether or not to file a motion, helping us to decide what the outcome of the motion means for the remainder of the case, how we think about settlement, et cetera. Uh, although I will go back to the, the ensemble part. I consider experts to be part of that process. You know what? Right. AI uh, uh, reduces the cost of prediction which thereby increases the value of judgment. The, the more opportunities we have to use the machines to predict things, the more, to me, the more valuable the human judgment becomes because now it's, it's, mu mm. it's much more informed. Uh, right. and, and now you can, you can really have, you can show much, you can actually track the difference between different experts um, and their and their judgment. So, I think I think though that that kind of technology. Um, and by the way, it's not it's not just technology, right? It's it's a different way of thinking about and delivering legal services. Uh, mm. Is should already be here, um, but absolutely has is going to have a larger and larger role to play in the future. Yeah, I spoke to a researcher. Uh, Dimitrios Sarapsanis, uh, he was one of the people involved in creating what they call the AI judge. So I guess in the mm -hmm. European courts, they, you know, yep. fed it several hundred cases and, on human rights. Um, do you think that in the future there may be a third party in the courtroom, you know, the judge, counsel, uh, sorry, fourth party, maybe jury, maybe not, but an AI system that knows all the case law that can, that can be another voice in the courtroom? That you know has it all on hand, that can say you know this is what is everything that that you know the subject and the case that's going on, it's referenced here, 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 and here. You know, do you think there'll be an additional voice in the courtroom, again, that's a computer or AI system that will um, weigh in and help the judge and the the attorneys and everyone make a decision on cases? I don't think that there will be a neutral. Uh, AI that is somehow, you know, de you know, deus ex machina, like it's God from the machine and it's coming down and uh, it's speaking to everyone simultaneously. But I, I think you already have some of that uh, in that people, people, Westlaw and Lexus already have AI built into their their legal research they want to make it better it should be better and they certainly have competition from the likes of fast case and ross etc mm. you can i can absolutely see an expansion of that where people become more and more reliant on on the technology to help them through the course of the case and you can have you can have jurors who you know you could film you could film the entire case and as opposed to uh, having to go through a transcript, 
because you have machine learning and you have machine transcription, you can actually you can have them go back and watch testimony in a way that they haven't before and rearrange testimony. And, and here I'm getting into kind of the, the oblong, oblong industries. I don't know if you've seen the John Undercoffler TED talk uh, about the way he grabbed uh, video from different sources and puts them together. I mean, you could have hmm. juries with a much different relationship to the evidence than you have right now. And AI would be a huge part of that. Uh, you could have judges who are much more reliant on AI when they're when they're making rulings. You could, you can have lawyers who are much more reliant on on AI when they're making arguments, raising objections, etc. So I see right. all of that, and I also see some cases going the kind of Modria direction of where you do have uh, uh, a machine being the adjudicator. Uh, I don't see the mix where you actually have AI as a voice in the courtroom with the judge. I don't see that anywhere in the near or medium term. In the far future, who knows? Okay. Right. Yeah, this this seems to be you know, a big strength of yours is your your view of all the things going on. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. I hadn't contemplated um, you know videoing a court proceeding and then reviewing parts of it later on, and having you know one or both uh, members of counsel bring them up, you know, and display them as they're talking and rerun them, that, those kinds of things. Yeah, and then hmm. the jury having access to everything like that. You know, natural natural language processing. They're they're able to by voice bring up such and such a testimony, and oh, didn't that one person say that one thing about that one thing? They don't need to remember exactly what it was. If they know the yeah. person and the general co concept, the AI should be able to offer them a few different options. Oh, this. Oh no no no, this. Because hmm. jury faulty jury memory is one of the most frustrating things when you sit behind those that double pane glass when you're doing jury research could completely change the way that juries review evidence. And to the extent you're changing the way juries review evidence, you're going to change the way that lawyers present it. That's so true. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not poo pooing AI in the courtroom. I just don't see it as this. Uh, I see it as a standalone adjudicator in places where we think that's going to increase access to justice. We just don't have the bandwidth, um, mm -hmm. like Mo like Modria, um, and, and I see it as a, as a tool that's used by everyone who's in a classic courtroom. Uh, I, I don't I don't see it as yet another kind of independent sentient party in a courtroom in the near or medium term. Right. Gotcha. Any other technologies that uh, that you're aware of that you know? most people wouldn't be aware of I never I never know how to answer that question because I deal with people all the time who think an extranet is an emerging technology uh, <laughs> and 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 so I I live in this little bubble I I you know I I talk to Dan Katz more than I talk to any single practicing attorney I talk to Bill Henderson I talk to people who 
I talked to Andrew Arruda. I talked to the people who are at the forefront. And so I'm mm-hmm. always learning things from them. But then, you know, we, we have the curse of ignorance. We don't know what we don't know. But then we also have the curse of knowledge. Once you know something, it's hard to imagine not knowing. Um, and, and so I, I have a hard time calibrating, you know, what, and, and by the way, your audience, of course, isn't just your run-of-the-mill lawyer, right? You have, you have people who self-select to listen to future right. tech. And so I would think that they read a lot of the same sources uh, uh, that I read. Um, see what, At the same time, they would, they would be most hungry to hear any tidbit they haven't heard before. Um, you know, one more thing I would bring up is, you know, have you seen evidence of, um, you know, remote um, courtrooms where, you know, the, the participants would be in their own location, the judge would be in their own location, um, so they wouldn't have to physically travel to a courtroom and uh, a proceeding will oh. be held over a secure channel on Skype, you know, those kinds of things. So we've been doing court call for years. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I haven't seen a video conference system for courts, but it it's not that large a leap from where we are right now with court call. Um, it makes, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's much in the way of technical bar technological barriers to doing it. It's more about social barriers, habit, status quo. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I haven't seen any movement afoot, but it would seem, that would seem to be one of those next logical steps. Right. Yeah, now I understand why you say you're an incrementalist. That's how you view these things. But it makes sense to view them in that way. They're not, uh, you know, law is still law. Uh, things still are the way they are. It's just different ways to present, to improve, to make things faster, different, better, but still the same the same thing. So it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, for, for um, now, I mean, I, it it could be completely different in ten years. I, I just again, I'm not that I'm not that imaginative. <laughs> okay. Uh, important question. So, so for people listening to this podcast, whether they be lawyers or people that want to work in the legal sphere, um, that have a technology idea, for instance, who are the thought leaders that um, would help someone evaluate whether you know, the, the, the legal impact of a new technology, you know, uh, 3D printing, AI, things like that, that will interface, obviously, with, with the law and how the law may treat them and, and view them. Do you have any resources that people can, you know, people that can be spoken to or, or are consulted with to give that perspective on how, you know, their invention or, again, this new technology will, will come face-to-face with the law and how it may be treated? So I've mentioned Dan Katz, who's a genius, and I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, Bill Henderson, I also mentioned. Uh, if you have an idea about doing something different in law, there is no better person to run it by than Ken Grady, um, who I, who uh, my friend Jeff Carr uh, lovingly uh, gave the title of Dream Squasher. Ken is so smart and so experienced and so genuinely interested in these things that he is phenomenal to talk to about any change you want to make. Um, 
he can he can talk to you about the, the tech side about why it'll work, okay. but he'll also be able to talk to you about the business side, the client side, the law firm side. He is he is amazing. Um, in a in a similar vein, uh, Ron Friedman. I talked about being an incrementalist. There's no one who's written better on incrementalism in law than Ron. Uh, Ron is just wonderful. Uh, I don't, he's not really, I don't know if he's the person to talk to about tech, although he certainly knows about it, but Mm -hmm. no one understands kind of the economics and the political economy of the legal landscape more than, than Bruce McEwen. Uh, there, uh, yeah, he is just, even if you don't talk to him, you absolutely have to read his books. Um, Mark Cohen's another really good one. I mean, there's, there's lots of good people and I feel like I'm, I'm going to offend some of my friends by leaving them off this list. Uh, it's okay. But, but uh, one thing that would be helpful is, you know, some of these guys have common names. Um, I don't know if we provide it, you know, at the end or in another segment or, you know, through, um, through text, but, um, do you have any other identifiers on how people interested in, in contacting these people or reading their works could find them? Oh, yeah, sure. Because again, their all... name may be generic. Yeah. Um, so Dan Katz is at computational on, on Twitter, but if you just look up Dan Katz, you'll be able to find a bunch of his talks and presentations. Uh, uh, Ken Grady um, is, uh, I believe, at Legal Lean. Uh, I I have to look that up. Uh, but Ken Ken writes uh, sight lines uh, for for Cyfar. Uh, okay. Ron Ron Friedman runs Prism Legal. He's a partner at yeah. And so Ken Grady is at at Lean Law Strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron Friedman is at Ron Friedman, um, two ends, uh, and he also. Uh, writes Prism Legal, uh, and uh, Mark Cohen is at Legal Mosaic, and he writes the the Legal Mosaic blog. Um, I think I also mentioned Bill Henderson. Um, he's at at WI Hender on Twitter, um, and he good. he blogs different. He writes different places, um, so it's just probably good to look up Professor William Henderson or Professor Bill Henderson. Uh, in Indiana, uh, who else did I mention? Yeah, all, all all of these people are. Oh, and then Bruce McEwen, he writes Adam Smith Esquire. Okay. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and I would include you know yourself. You definitely seem to be a um, you know a source of a lot of information. If you if you go, so, if you go to prosertus dot com, there's an in the news section and it links to all of my writing because I write all over the place. That's great. Okay. That's a great resource. Yeah. And that was, that was the last question I was going to ask you um, is, you know, for people listening, whether they be law firms, individuals, you know, lawyers, et cetera, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you and find out about your co-op certification and your consulting and, you know, and learn from you and implement what you have. Through ProCertis.com, P-R-O-C-E-R-T-A-S. 
ProCertis.com. My email is just Casey at ProCertis.com, P-R-O-C-I-T-A-S. Okay, well, you know, Casey, like I said, I, I count you amongst these uh, these possible people to speak to as being a great source of info, and, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time today to do this interview. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.